0: Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. I'm so glad you're with us uh, wherever you're joining us. If you're joining us on the television here in Santa Barbara, California area, uh, TVSB, we welcome you. So grateful for you. And if you're joining us at all the other platforms from around the world, goodlifetelevision.org, our YouTube channel, the, all the different social media platforms, and then, of course, the podcast, which we've seen a lot of a lot of increasing traffic on the podcast. So if you're a podcast type of a person, you can search uh, Good Life Conversations is the uh, podcast show. And we'd love to have you join us there. And there's just so many great stories. If you go to that YouTube uh, page or goodlifetelevision.org, you'll you'll see not only all the long form interviews of these amazing people, uh, but we've also, we break those up into what we call power clips. And so you can kind of see some of the, great moments from these interviews and it's been all walks of life uh people from every different um you know situation uh, entrepreneurs and overcomers we've had young people we've had veterans we've had public servants we've had athletes and coaches and authors and uh, it's been really fun so we're grateful you're here for the journey uh, presented, as always, by Bunnen Chevrolet. We're grateful for our friends across the street here at Bun and Chevrolet for their partnership. Uh, I'm really excited about my guest today. I uh, spent part of my weekend reading uh, some of his book. Uh, Craig Delisio is with me. Craig, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. We're Craig's in uh, you're Lynch, Lynchburg, Virginia, correct? I am, yeah. Correct. Okay, yeah. So Craig's an author um he uh he's written a, a book that we're going to talk a lot about today um it's called uh, an orphan in the house of god it's going to be up on your screen here in a second but you can you can find that uh craig uh has really done an amazing job of of telling his story and uh we're going to connect that here in a minute but it's it, it is an ama- really an amazing story of what uh Craig's kind of childhood was and kind of coming out of that and and then um connecting a lot of of dots and um and so Craig let, let's start with just this question because there's a lot of uh, from your journey that I think is really interesting but when did you decide to write all this down when did you decide to write a book uh well this is actually my
1: 7th book um but I, this this one Uh, I had no pre-plan. I didn't have any intentions of writing it. Um, About six years ago, I guess, um, I was doing a Bible study. I used to work at Liberty University. I'm a Liberty alumni, and I worked over there for five years. That's how we ended up in Lynchburg. I'm a Philadelphia native originally, and I lived in Nashville for 17 years. And I took a job at my alma mater, and um, I guess around 2018, uh, a friend of mine at work, we decided to do a Tuesday out. Tuesday at lunchtime, we would do a, a Bible study together and other books as well. We're both big readers. We were working our way through a Henry Nowen book. It was actually the last book of his. It was taken from his journals. His friends put it together. It was published posthumously. And in the process of doing this, a question was asked me. Uh, there was some question and answer stuff, and we so Nathan and I would go back and forth. And the question was asked, um, What did God show you this week that? completely stunned you or shook your world or something like that and i had been wrestling a long long time with i would read verses like when jesus said let the little children come to me and and don't prohibit them because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like and unless you become like one of them you can't understand the kingdom of heaven and when paul talks about the spirit of adoption uh by which we cry abba father it those things would mean nothing to me um I didn't have an archetype, and I just burst out that day. I said, Nathan, I don't know how to be a child of God because I never got a chance to be a child. I had to grow up immediately, um, and that started this journey, and it just sort of God kept tilling that dirt for almost five years uh, from about 2018 until last January, twenty January 22nd of twenty-two. Um, I decided to sit down and start writing it. And I, I, I I asked God, I said, don't you need to heal me of this stuff first? And I felt him tell me like, no, you're going to be healed as you write this. If I took, if I, if I healed you first, this book would have no edge and it would lose its impact. Um, you have to trust me on this one. And I started writing, sort of researching. Um, I'd never really done a book where I had to do extensive research before I've researched quotes and things like that. But this one, I had to really dig in deep. And it helped me because I thought that maybe emotional orphanage was just something I had come up with myself. But it turns out it's a legitimate psychological uh, thing. And there's a lot of work done on it. A lot of papers. There's been a couple of books. There's a a prominent psychologist in the uh, Boston area. That's kind of her life's work. Um, And so reading all those things really confirmed what I had suspected. So I started writing in January of last year. And then I got to about August. And gosh, it was the first 60% of the book was just so dark. It was so hard to, I mean, it's hard to read now. And writing it sometimes would just exhaust me. There were times when, especially I would recall some of the early stuff when I was just a little boy. And I would break down and just think, how could you do that to a five-year-old? You know, I'm a dad now and my daughter's 25, but I, you know, I remember when she was five and think I could not treat my child that way. And, I, and God started revealing things to me. I would ask him questions. I, and I just at one point said, I, I this needs to get come out of me. I can't live with, I'm dragging this around. I've been dragging this around for 50 years. I can't live with this, this orphanage on me anymore. And it's wrecking my life. And, um, and he started showing me stuff. He said, and he told me at one point, and I don't hear like audible voices. This is God, you know, speaking to your heart. He said, you're not going to like this. This is, this is going to hurt, but you have to go here. So I started writing it in January of last year, and I really turned a corner at the end of August of last year, where God finally really started the healing process, showed me what childhood with him is really like. The last 25% of the book, 30% or so, just flowed. It, was, it just got done really quickly. And it's, it's really changed my life. I, I've told people that if I, didn't, if I never shared it with anybody else, um, the freedom I've found in, in the last year, uh, since I concluded it almost a year has been worth
0: it for me. So. Wow. Yeah. The, the, it, well, I think there's several parts of this that are really interesting to me. One is, I mean, I think it's interesting how you say when you wrote it, it was actually part of the healing process. I think that's interesting how you know, naming something kind of or saying it out loud can be an impactful part of that versus keeping it all in, you know, or, or you know, or not sharing it. I mean, have you found that? I mean, t- expand a little bit on that part.
1: When I found, I just couldn't figure out. I started really considering writing this the more I looked at my life. I was always very gregarious outgoing, cl- you know, cl- funniest guy. And the- I wouldn't say class clown because I wasn't making a fool of myself, but a- entertaining guy, quick humor, and love people. And in the last 20 years, um, and and granted, in the last 20 years, i would really endured a lot of hardships. Um, I went through a divorce. A um, couple years after that, the, in- the mortgage industry collapsed, which is what I did for a living. I lost my home. I was homeless for six years. Because of the divorce, my fatherhood was, you know, once a week and every other weekend. And I'm not built that way. I'm 24-7 bad. And that probably was the hardest thing I had to endure. Those things will embitter you. But it was more than that. By the time I got here to Lynchburg and got settled into a job and and life had become more normal or returned to, you know, kind of normal, I also realized that I, I used to joke with my friends that I was becoming... Clint Eastwood's character, Walt Kowalski in Gran Torino, where I just wanted to sit on my porch and tell everybody to get off my front lawn and leave me alone. And that wasn't me. If you'd asked me when I was 20, do you see yourself at 58 um, or 59 when I started writing this, uh, do you see yourself as just curmudgeonly guy that just wants everybody to leave them alone and have no relationships except for the ones back home that I grew up with? I thought, no. I, I thought I would just be you know, an extension of that person that I was really until my thirties. And I couldn't deal with that anymore. I, I just didn't want to be that person. So I started just looking like, what is, what am I, what are these symptoms of? There's, these are symptoms. This isn't the problem. And I started researching it. And a friend of mine, when I lived in Tennessee, a friend of mine had adopted two children. And I remembered him telling me some of the problems that his son had gone through. And I thought that's so similar to me. So I started researching what are the adult, symptoms or or, um, personal relationship adjustments or problems that uh, that orphans have. And I was exhibiting every one of them. Now I had parents, Uh, my mother and father never married. I didn't meet my dad till I was 43. I didn't know about my real father till I was 21. I thought my stepfather was my father. That's what I was told. And so I lived in a house with two adults. Um, There was no bond whatsoever. There was complete rejection from pretty much day one but at least I had parents I didn't know any different but I was exhibiting all these signs of of orphans same thing orphans would do and then one day I read Oliver Twist I love reading classics and I, now I don't know who thought it was a good idea to make the book Oliver Twist and it was a musical because they're, they're about as diametrically opposed as possible that's a dark book until the very end I mean poor little Oliver went through some stuff but the scene where he goes to ask for more because he's literally starving to death. And the way he's greeted by the master of the orphanage, where he's actually pummeled with the ladle, they punish him for being hungry. Um, I broke down and sobs reading that because it was defining my spiritual life. Uh, that's how I saw myself with God. Um, you get your portion for the day. Don't come asking me for any anymore. And I realized that's how I was raised. And when I started seeing that there were uh, legitimate, articles and and psychological studies that you can be an orphan and have parents you can grow up in a house with parents but emotionally you're an orphan you exhibit all the same um, symptoms I guess. I, I just had to end that I, I just couldn't do it anymore I just was like this isn't who I am this isn't who I want to be and I started praying a lot about it and, and researching it and then um, you know i didn't want to i just didn't want to be this i did not want my daughter to see me being this person i wanted to be who i used to be before you know uh, you get the world can kick in the ribs a few times and and put a snarl on your face well you know i'm i'm a, I'm a believer i want to be a, i want to be an overcomer i don't want to be saddled with that i mean we all get a little you know edgy and um, worn over the years, but you know, our, our peace and our, our happiness, our joy inside shouldn't go away. And mine was gone. And I, I just didn't want to live that life anymore. And uh, it really, just in writing it and exposing it, um, started explaining so many things that I was blaming myself for over the years, failures that I'd had. Um, never really achieving as much as i could have i'm a very gifted person i'm not say that to brag i'm just saying you know if i was looking at me as somebody else i'd be like man there's a guy that probably ought to be a millionaire um just you know and and i never really could achieve and whenever i did i felt like i needed to apologize and it's first thing out of my you know i just felt guilty if i if i did something good if i achieved if i accomplished if i set goals and hit them that was um very much attacked in the house i grew up in and and i just uh getting that all out there and realizing this is where I am was the first step towards becoming who I'm supposed to be. So yeah. Naming it absolutely was the start of it. Wow.
0: And so the, are you talking about like in terms of success or self-sabotage or whatever you want to call it, Like you, so you, it was probably the kind of thing where you didn't think you were worthy of or deserving of that success. Is that what you're I was ashamed of it.
1: Um, and I, I was not, I could look at it and go, boy, I worked really hard and that's the end result of it. But I instantly felt like, well, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to want to be anything but a factory worker? And there's nothing wrong with factory workers. Let me just make that clear, but I I always wanted something else. And I was, you know, always attacked for that. And so I bought into it. I just thought, yeah, that's for other people. I'm supposed to be living hand to mouth, the rest of my days, if I have anything, you know, if I have more than 100 bucks in the bank, I must think I'm somebody special, the fact that I wanted to go to college. Um, and, and nobody in my family went beside me. And, and, you know, I was literally told by my mother and stepfather, who I thought was my dad, that's what I was told. So I'm, I'm hearing this thinking it's my dad telling me this you know, who do I think I am to go to college? I think, do I think I'm better than them? Like, no, I don't think I'm better than you. I just think I want to go to college. You didn't want to go. That's no problem. Uh, You you know? And I, I would just, I would set goals and start to achieve them and think, what am I doing? This is going to explode. I'll, I'll mess this up somehow. I don't, this isn't for me. I'm not those people that are, you know, and I've been really good in my job, really good award-winning, uh, People that have been in business longer than me would come to me for advice because I just took to this job naturally and still um, found ways to underachieve. Uh, Okay, made my mortgage for the month. That's enough for me. And it's not because I was lazy. I was outworking everybody. I just found ways to uh, just not achieve. Achievement, I felt like I had to apologize for it. Like I owed somebody an apology for every good thing that ever happened to me and I couldn't figure out why.
0: Yeah, so amazing. So, what would you say, Craig? Like, you've this is uh, I'm trying to think through how to phrase this. L- somebody's watching right now, and they've they, they resonate with what you're saying. Let's say so they've been a, either emotionally abandoned or that they, they've lived a, the life of an orphan, and they're experiencing the symptoms as or whatever you want to call it characteristics as an adult of somebody. Who, how does somebody? How would you say, based on your experience or what you've learned, really literally sim- simple, simply stated, how, how does somebody go from being an orphan to being a son, to being a daughter? So that was the question that
1: was just raging in my soul. I kept asking God, like, I don't know what it looks like. I have no archetype for this. I've never been anybody's son. Um, I was always the kid that, And I know this sounds like, I'm, you know, poor me, but it's just, I'm just stating the fact I I played little league baseball for 12 seasons and I played two years in high school. I loved baseball and I played hockey. You could never look in the stands and find my parents. I was an all-star. They never came to the all-star games. Um, I played hockey in college, which was probably my most proud achievement in my athletic career. That was my dream was to play college hockey. And I played two seasons, and they, they never, they never even stepped foot on the campus. Um, and I, you get to this point where you just figure it's going to go it alone. And, and I, I, I didn't have an archetype. I didn't know what it was to be a son. I had no idea. And finally, um, a guy I just kept asking, like God, sh- you got to show me something. You have to show me. And He, he couldn't until He was ready. I think he had to let me experience a lot of stuff and do the research and write all that stuff out, and then one day he showed me, um, and it was a simple little thing. I, I was, it was, I get up early in the morning, and I was sitting on my couch at four thirty in the morning. I said, "God, I, I can't go another step. I can't write another word. What does it look like? I have to see what it is to be your son." And I, I remembered a verse. I'm just sure the Holy Spirit just prompted me where jesus said which of you fathers if your son asked him for a loaf of bread would give him a scorpion or if he asked for um a fish would give him a a, a snake poisonous snake and he said of course not and and if you are if you fathers who are sinful would not hold back any good thing from your children why do you think your heavenly father would do that and he's going to shower you with his goodness he's you know his love and then i just as just instantly popped into my heart this scene my daughter was 4 years old and she we were at my it was my weekend with her and we were at our house and I have a, I had used to have a little office there when I wanted to work from home and so I was in my office and she was probably watching TV and she came running into my my office and jumped in my lap and she said daddy can I have a barbie jeep and it was one of those power wheels where it's an electric motor and you know they get in it and she was she'd already had a power wheel somebody had given us and she was in her barbie phase and, the, and it was already on my radar And it was close to Christmas. And I said, um, well, I'll tell you what, I can't go buy one today. But how about if we put it on your Christmas list since it's so close to Christmas? And if Santa doesn't bring you one, you know, daddy will get you one. She was perfectly happy with that answer, gave me a hug and went back in and watched TV. There was no pouting. There was no arguing. And when she came in, she didn't jump in my lap and go, daddy, if I'm really good, will you buy me a Barbie Jeep? If I clean my room, if I you know, feed the dog. If I get good grades in school, there was no negotiation. She knew because from the, before she was even born, she knew that her daddy loved her. She, everything in her relationship with me was centered on the fact that my dad loves me. So all my interaction with him, that's the fixed point of my compass. Whatever way that needle moves, the part that doesn't move is that my dad loves me. So I don't have to beg him. I don't have to cajole. I don't have to offer sacrifices i don't have to negotiate if he doesn't do it it's because it's not the best thing for me and he's proven that so i can accept it if he says not now but later he'll do it he means it and if he says yes then it's let's go do it and so she was bold and when paul talks about come boldly to the throne of grace to find strength and help in time of need well I, i never could approach god boldly for me um, I couldn't pray for myself. That was probably the most defining sign that I was a spiritual orphan. I never could pray for myself. I could pray for everybody else. I could pour my heart out for hours for some family in a car accident or some missionary in China or some friend that was sick or somebody that had lost their job and completely believed that God was going to hear me on their behalf. But the words, you know, help me never came out of my mouth because I assumed he wasn't going to because I saw myself as a child of his the way I was a child growing up, which was you're on your own. When that happened that morning, I, I broke down in sobs. I, I just, and then I started looking back over my daughter's childhood and God told me that it's not your childhood. You're going to find the healing from it's because you were such a good dad with her. You were the kind of dad to her that I am with you. So you're the kind of child to me that she is to you. It changed everything. It, It just changed
0: everything. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So it's so that was really revealed to you. I mean that was shown yeah. to you. Yeah.
1: I mean, and that then, really happened. The Barbie Jeep story really happened. I just hadn't thought of it in so many years. And God just, you know, tapped me on the
0: shoulder and said, "Remember this. This is what it looks like. It's time for you to see it." And I did. Wow. Yeah, there there the, the is a shift. I mean, what a well, it's a monumental shift from that kind of earning mentality or you don't deserve it or don't bother me you know that posture of and and i think that's what's so interesting to me about this is is i just think there's there's so many people out there that are exhibiting characteristics traits whatever that are really wounds of Mm -hmm what they're you know that i know everybody calls them father wounds or you know whatever you want to say but but it just seems like that that i mean that they say this is the most fatherless generation we're starting to see the results of what it looks like when this happens on a big scale you know where fathers are absent and what what profound implications that has but i just feel like there's 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 a huge need out there and, and and somebody like you i mean you were you were exhibiting these things and and you but and you it's not you couldn't figure out why i mean it sounds to me like it was kind of like well, what's the deal here why am i, I that's knew i had been
1: just... through a lot of things i had i mean i i've been dealt a lot of blows but so have a lot of other people it doesn't mean you become An embittered angry curmudgeonly person that just every response to any little thing is you know i i mean i i couldn't i wouldn't even put a jesus fish on my bumper because god forbid you you know turn in front of me without your 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 turn signal i mean every little thing would just be it was just why is there five minutes of poison coming out of me over something that took 10 seconds yeah and i just you know i just was ready to fight and and sometimes literally um most of the time you know emotionally just a verbal barrage but it just wasn't it wasn't christ-like and it wasn't who i'd always been and i just realized like you know you have just morphed into this person that you never thought you'd become and Mm -hmm. i think there are a lot of us out there that are that just we don't realize And, and like one of the things you said about the father I think the church has done a really good job exploring the damage that's been done by painting a bad picture of God as the Father. There's been a lot of sermons about that, a lot of books. I have a good friend, Ed Tandy McGlasson, who that's his whole ministry. It's called The Blessing of the Father. That's what he teaches. But I don't know that anybody's ever talked about, what are your rights and privileges as a child? Um, They talk about, you know, being a child, being childlike, but they don't define that. Like, how does a child of God pray? Well, how does your child talk to you? Um, how did you talk to your dad? And if you didn't have a good example of that, then it's, you have to look for something else But there's, you know, we don't, we didn't, we never explored that when I was a kid. So I got the father part of it straightened out probably 15 years ago. Um, Hmm. as far as seeing God as a father, I was good with that, but I still saw myself as an unworthy child and it wasn't God's fault. I thought it was just things I'd done or, or just my birthright. You know, I was completely rejected and i guess he feels the same way and you know my opinion of, of, of my christianity was um I, you know god was just basically saying look i saved you because you guys messed up in the garden and i had to sacrifice my own son and that's all you're getting out of me i'll see you when you get here you get heaven you get eternal life through salvation but you're on your own well if you were to grow up in the house i grew up in it's exactly the message i heard every day you want something go get it we're not doing anything for you nobody did anything for us now, I coached hockey for 10 years, high school boys. I never had a parent come to me and say, you know, nobody did anything for me. I'm not doing anything for my kids. It was always, I want my children to have a little more than me or better opportunity. In my house, it was, well, you're on your own. And I just saw, I just thought that's what childhood is. I excused it. It never even, I just adapted to it. I started working when I was eight years old, I cut grass and then I got a paper route. And then When I was 15, I started working in a restaurant and I just, it developed a great work ethic. I mean, that was a good thing, but I never felt that I could confidently go to my parents for anything. And so I couldn't confidently go to God for anything. And I thought of myself as unworthy and less and not valuable. And, um, it had to change. So that's that was really I, I think that if the church could focus on something. It's we get the father part. Let's really explore what your what it is, what it feels like to be a child of God.
0: That's so good. If you're just joining, I'm uh, joining us. I am with uh, Craig Delisio. He's written a wonderful book here. Um, it's it's called An Orphan in the House of God. I highly recommend it to you um we'll put it up on your screen. So that's that's an interesting point because because I agree. I mean we do we 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 I you do hear talk to a lot about okay, well let's talk about who this God really is. Maybe the God that you think you have is not you know accurate, which I think for people with father wounds obviously is true. But I mean, your stepfather was not a good representation at all of what was my the heart dad. of the father is, nor was your dad. And so but you, what you're talking about is walking in that sonship walking in that as an heir as a as a son how does that what does that look like because but if you're, i you're... never
1: did that here then i had no right.
0: archetype i don't know what it right. looks
1: like to be god's chosen son to to say abba father which is like saying daddy and i it's a term of endearment i i you know i never got to say that so i don't you know that was foreign to me
0: yeah and to believe that, like to, to that, that's just got to be a big hurdle, I think, for a lot of people. Like, what? Like, you mean you're trying to tell me it's not, it, you know, it's not all up to me. It's not yeah. like, like, I, I can imagine like seeing God, well, you know, maybe there's a backup plan there or something. <laughs> but the idea that this, like, you're telling me that He's got me, you're telling me that I can ask and believe and agree. And that he is going to work for my good, like that's a big leap. And that was the second biggest lesson,
1: and maybe it's one in one A. Uh, the day that he showed me that one was, I, I, I'm an emotional guy. I mean, I'm Italian and I'm a writer, <laughs> and you know, I'm artsy. We're well, not artsy, but I'm artistic, and so I feel everything. And so I, crying is not a big deal to me. I mean, I, you know, it's not. It, it's I'm not walking around. All the time crying but it's not unknown for me but when he showed me when he finally just said all right it's time for you to hear all this I mean, it was the most amazing thing ever um my parents never celebrated my birthday um and i asked god one time in prayer like how come we didn't celebrate my birthday and god said because it was never a good day for your mom uh it didn't mean anything your stepfather he didn't even meet you till you were five and your father tried as best he could to forget you as soon as he got back from Vietnam, and so nobody really cared that it was your birthday. It wasn't a good day for them. And you know that's why there's nobody at my ball games or coming to my school play or or checking my homework at night. It, I was very alone. I now thank God I had wonderful friends. I grew up on a dead end street, so there was we played out in the street all the time. There were no car, you know, there weren't a lot of traffic and everybody stayed it wasn't this thing where people move every three years like we all grew up in the neighborhood which doesn't even seem to happen anymore but i had the same friends from age seven when we moved there till 22 when i moved out and got my own place and i'm still friends with all them and all their parents sort of i guess they knew because they kind of i was always welcome in their houses and their dads taught me how to change oil or throw a curveball or whatever because my stepfather wouldn't do it and there was a moment when God told me when my, when my wife, ex-wife, when my, my daughter's mom, we were about six months pregnant. I started taking a paper towel tube every night and putting it against her belly. My daughter's name is Morgan. And I would say, it's always tough for me to say, "Hide, Morgan, it's your daddy. And I love you and I can't wait to see you. And I said that every night. And we were about seven and a half months pregnant. It was pretty close to the end. And we were in bed, going to bed, and we just had this sheet on. And I put the paper towel tube on there, and I said, hi, Morgan, it's your daddy. And I didn't even get out the rest of it. That's where I got to, hi, Morgan, it's your daddy. And she kicked. She kicked so hard that the sheet actually moved.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: instantly, I realized she recognizes my voice. Mm. You know? Before she ever even entered this world, she's heard her daddy tell her that he loves her and he can't wait for her for at least six weeks. By the time we got to May 7th, which is her birthday, she'd probably heard it 50 or 60 times. I've never heard it once. My dad died while I was right. My real dad died while I was writing this book. And I never, you know, I never got to hear my dad tell me he loved me or was proud of me or I was a good dad or he never even met his granddaughter. And God started showing me, do you remember those Little League coaches that you had? that somehow saw that your parents weren't there and they were a little bit extra kind to you or tough on you if they had to be but they were they were good for you all those neighbors on your street that eighth grade teacher mr farmer who saved my life that that just seemed to know you needed an arm on your shoulder all those people at your church that just took to you that was me talking to you through that paper towel tube telling you this is your daddy and i love you and i don't have a physical voice to express it with and i can't put literal arms around you but i'm doing it with all these people and the moment when i saw that writing this book when he showed me that um was the day everything broke for me i had probably cried for an hour and i started realizing like wow he was celebrating my birthday even though my parents weren't he was mm. he was there in the stands he was proud of me when i see we don't we don't attribute those kind of things to God. We, we tend to look at God like he's Oz, right? Like there's flames shooting up and there's this big scary head and, and it's not personal. But the other thing he showed me was when, when David wrote, uh, you've you, you known me in my mother's womb. Before I was even born, you knew me. I was knit together in my mother's womb. Before I was even born, you, you, were, you, know, you were there with me. Um, it, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We only seem to apply that to the abortion argument. Like only the babies that are almost about to be slaughtered are fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, so am I. So are you. So is everybody that's going to read the book, hopefully, and, and is maybe watching this right now and going, wow, this is, all my, this is all me. All of a sudden, God said, you're just as fearfully and wonderfully made. And I took as much time creating you as I did those babies that you're fighting for. When, when David said, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, the word made is the same word that Moses, when he was writing the Pentateuch, when he was writing the creation story, used that same word when God shaped Adam. It talks about an artist forming something by hand and, and working it to be exactly what he wants. And then he breathed life into it, brought it to life. Well, that's how he created it. That's what made means. When you start looking at that and you know God's character, you cannot convince yourself that God could be anything except wildly in love with you like a father is to his child, and that you are that special to him because he did make you. And when Paul talks about the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit begins to change our DNA spiritually. We literally become children of God. We take on his characteristics. We take on his attributes. We, we, it's, a tr- it's a lifelong process. We don't instantly become you know completely holy and perfect. That doesn't happen till heaven but there's a transformation that's more than just spiritual. And I don't know. It's sad that it took 50 years for me to learn this because I, I became a Christian at nine years old. I wish I had known it, but you know, uh, it's better the day that I learned it than one more day late. I, I right. just, um, and, I, and I guess, you know, that's kind of the hope I have for people that read it is just to know. You're never going to understand your childhood position with God till you understand how, much of a dad he really is to you and how he sees you he sees you if if you're a good you know if like again jesus even said if you're earthly people and you're good parents why do you think he's less of a parent than you he's a better parent than you if you love your kids so much that you would give them you would stop at nothing and give them anything why do you think he's some miser greedy going to give it out a little chunk at a time And this is not you know name it claim it i'm not saying god's going to just you know give us all our wishes and i want to go out tomorrow morning there's a brand new corvette my front you know my driveway and i'm a millionaire it's not that it's the relationship that my daughter has always had with me she just turned 25 and we've had our ups and downs but she's never doubted that her daddy was wildly crazy in love with her and would do anything for her would breathe my last breath in her lungs if that's what it took and she's that valuable to me and i am to god and it's just in in the months since that it's coming up on a year my life has been i think this is the christian life i was supposed to have had all along
0: Mm. wow it's so great i'm so uh, i'm so honored to meet you the my guest has been craig valeseo and the book is an orphan in the in the house of god um encourage you to check it out what a powerful story if you know if you you or somebody that you know uh, or a friend of a, a loved one who who has been uh had a story anywhere similar to craig's i would certainly recommend maybe given this book as a gift it, it might change their life uh walking as a son walking as a daughter when You know everything on earth is kind of pointed in a different direction and uh, and i think that's a powerful thing a powerful thing that's happened to craig and that that he's now passing on so thank you for for writing this and uh it's, it's wonderful to meet you
1: thank you thanks for
0: having me wonderful thank you all for joining us we'll see you next time